I'd like to ask you to turn your attention now to Psalm 24. Many of our Bibles have some titles. This one titled, The King of Glory, a Psalm of David. Very triumphant psalm. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. This last week, I took part in something I hope to never have to take part in again. Um, about this, the process maybe started three, four months ago when um, my father-in-law was planning to sell his home. He had a rental home in Canyon City, and his health had been declining and wanted to kind of wrap up things in case something happened and he didn't want to leave his wife with uh, some some unopened or left open business to, to take care of. So there had been some tenants in living in the house uh, for some several years now. And um, so they received notice at the beginning of summer. Sorry, uh, it's the, the lease is coming up. 31 August, it's time to move out. Unless, but they've been saying for the last two or three years, oh, but we love this place. We'll we'll want to buy it. And so for several, really the past two and a half years, they've been promising to to come up with the money for a down payment. Um, uh, my father-in-law very patient and uh, generous and kind. Uh, but it came time to where he said, I, I can't give you any more time. So they came 31 August, or rather came 1 September, and they said, we're not moving. We're not going anywhere. In fact, we're going to get a lawyer, which they did. And so over the last two or three months has been a process of our property, man or the, the property management who's been doing it, their lawyer, talking with their lawyer, and I won't bore you with all of the, the details. But let me tell you something. Ownership matters. Now, just park that for a little bit. And as we go through Psalm 24, I'd like to pre present to you, and you have it in your, your program here, 
four little points. The first couple of verses of this psalm present what I believe is the context for our existence. And that is, we are tenants. And God is the owner of all. What it says here is the earth is the Lord's. Now, we could just take that as the space that we see, all right, the geography. Or we can get a globe and we can say, okay, yeah, we know he owns the oceans. We know uh, the skies and, 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 uh, and everything else. But it goes much really beyond that. Because it, it, it doesn't only say the earth is the Lord's, for he set it on his foundations. He created it as if he needed any, any right to claim it. But he said, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So, and that's really, I believe, quite a statement to ponder and phrase even right there. The fullness thereof. You know, my dad was raised in West Texas. Now, if you've ever tra traveled to West Texas, it's barren. I mean, there's just miles and miles and miles of dirt. But you know what, about 100 years ago, what they found underneath? Oil. And so a lot of those dirt poor people became dirt rich. Because there was more to the earth than what met the eye. And so when, when it says that the earth, the Lord, um, is, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, think of everything that comes from this world that we live in. Really, whether it's the clothes on our back, the cars that we drive, the houses that we live in, to the sunsets we see in the evening, to our jobs and the skills and abilities he's given us, these are the Lord's and all the fullness thereof. So what this does is for us is to put, if it's not there, to kind of wrap our heads around where God's place is. It is ownership of all things, seen and unseen. Things that are produced this, this morning had a, uh, uh, one of the young men who's going to too long one. It's a scientist. And he's, he was starting to tell me all of the things that he was involved in in this startup business that they're trying to do. And there are things that are so complex and so far above my head, I can't even describe it to you. Roy Adams, if that name rings a bell with any of you, was one of my elders in uh, uh, Eastville when I was pastoring there. Uh, Roy's uh, uh, favorite verse was uh, Colossians 1.17, where in him all things hold together. Roy was a chemist, uh, and, and earlier in his days, a fairly renowned chemist. I remember going into this, they invited us over one day, and I was looking at books, and there was a couple of big, thick, thick textbooks like that, and they had Roy's name on it, and I said, and he's like, yeah, I wrote them. 
brilliant man. But he understood that God owned everything, even things we can't see and put together. And so in that, in putting God in his place, then does it not also put us in our place? And I believe that's where the next point comes to, the biggest question of life. Because the next question in verse 3 is, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? Now, most scholars believe that this was written uh, when the ark was being brought into Jerusalem, and, and there was kind of a procession, and as it was coming in, there was... Uh, and, and, and the ark, you have to kind of understand what this represented to the covenant people, to David, the, the, the man after God's own heart, the presence of God in their midst. And so now that the presence of God is in our midst, who can ascend this hill? Who can stand in the presence of God? Can the rich? Well, not really because they don't own what God owns. Can the engineer? No. They can't really build what God builds. Can the artist? No, they really can't draw the sunset or the beach that God created. Can the scientist with his brilliant mind the Edisons of the world. You know, where would we be without light bulbs? No. God is, God is light, not a light bulb. And so sometimes we think, well, no, I know in, in these things, and these are all good things. God has gifted us in some really terrific and wonderful ways, and, and men and women have different abilities. And, and we use them to, to create. We use them uh, to earn livings. Um, but we know in ourselves we're short. And so what do we do when we understand the holiness of God? Because that's really what also the, the next rung, really, that, that David's adding on here. Not only does God own everything, and therefore everything is subject to him, but he's holy. And it re requires holiness to stand in his presence. But, but where do we like to go? Where is our comfort zone? In Matthew chapter 19, it says, And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? You see the shift? I need something I can do to find my justification and rationalization that I can go and to be in the presence of God. Jesus played along with him for a little bit. If you would enter eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he said. 
Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear fault witness, honor your mother and father, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, I've done all these things. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And he went away sad. You know, in our my military life, when they were getting ready to, to, to fight a, a battle or plan a, a, an engagement or something like that, your, your planners uh, would always look for a couple of things. Look for more than that, but I'll just, a couple of them particularly. One, do, you, do we have the capability? That is, do we, do we you know, like if, if, if there's a 20-pound a, 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 uh, rock here, do I have the capability, do I have the muscle to, to lift that 20-pound that rock? So that's, that's one thing. But the other is capacity, um, which which would be I might have the capability, but if 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 uh, I don't know for different reasons I might not have the capacity. So to accomplish the mission, we have to either have, we have to have both the capacity and the capability. And when we come to this, and it asks the question, who can ascend? We all have to realize we fall so far short in having the capacity or capability to do anything to enter into the presence of God. And it go, as it goes on, because we also, uh, and, and that's why the question is who, not what can I do? Because we know we've already fa failed at that. And then it goes on to even punctuate it in verse 4 with the standard that God has set. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And this is where the rich young ruler went away sad because he wasn't perfect. He, he may have had his checklist out and he had, may have followed it um, religiously, pun intended, but it was still not sufficient. And anything that we think is, is only kidding ourselves. I believe that's what's alluding to where it says, who does not lift up his soul to what is false or does not swear deceitfully. The worst deception is self-deception to thinking that we are able. The only way, the only way to stand in God's presence is then to have righteousness impugned to us. Which brings us back to the question, who? And really as we go through the first six verses, he puts up this declarative statement. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. And, and it, we, we could spend an enormous amount of time 
just on extrapolating that because uh, every there's not an inch of the universe that is not God's. And so when we come, though, to verses 3 and 4, though, and we see the question is not what can I do, but who can ever meet this? And then we have the standard of holiness. There's a good reason, I think, for a Selah here. Because we, at, at, at this point, the person going through the psalm might well be ready to be a little bit despondent. I, I'm, a, I'm a failure at this one. This is an impossible task for me. Deep breath and sigh. But yet in 7 through 10, we read that this is not a psalm of trouble. This is not a psalm of despondency. This is a psalm of victory. This is a psalm of celebration. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul was writing, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's at that point in the psalm where it's like, switch. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. The Apostle Paul also reminds us in Philippians, talking of the Lord Jesus, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, similar to our, our call to worship in Isaiah. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The author of Revelation, the Apostle John, also, when uh, in his, his vision in Revelation 5, speaking of the scroll and the Lamb, it says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. 
And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Brothers and sisters, we do not have to be shaking our heads, wondering, what do I need to do? We need to be saying, who? Oh, it is Jesus Christ. That is who. He is the one who has paid my debt. He is the one who has forgiven my sins. He is the one who has transferred me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear and beloved son. Lift your heads, O ye saints of the Lord. So this last week hopefully culminated that process I told you earlier where the tenant said to the owner, how dare you tell me what I need to do? I'm not going to go anywhere. And it was really a sad day. Went and the sheriff had to come and said, moving your stuff out. And on one hand, we sit and say, and I, trust me, I've scratched my head many times saying, what were they thinking? Half the stuff they did just made no sense. It really only hurt them in the long run. How many times do we act like foolish tenants? which really only hurts ourselves if we allow ourselves to fall into that self-deception. But this is, and it, come back, one more verse, Galatians 4, 4. Because David was looking forward to a day. I don't think David had any... Uh, concept in his mind that he was the who. But in 5 and 6, he even talks about those who will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of Jacob. They had the promise in, a, in, in, in shadow. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. And Galatians 4.4 4 tells us, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive, what? Adoption as sons. So here's where it flips a little bit. We're tenants but now we've actually become heirs. 
The owner is still the Lord of all things. But now we see from a different perspective. So it's not a perspective of what can I do or how can I work through my situations, but really of rejoicing in what the Lord has done and what he's accomplished through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as the ark was coming to Jerusalem and the pronouncement was made, gates lift up your heads, rejoice, because this is a time to celebrate. So it is with us. As we see the Lord Jesus Christ hastening to the day he shall return, Saints, lift your heads. Rejoice. The King of glory draws nigh. That word glory is pretty interesting in the Hebrew. It refers kind of of a, of a weightiness, a heaviness. And so, and that's what distinguishes really our king from all the other kings of the earth. Because earlier... You know, if, if, if we were talking about uh, what we, things we can do compared to, to God and his ownership and what he, the fullness of the earth, what we do is like stick figures with, with a crayon compared to what God is able to, to do in his creation. And so that's also the kind of picture. What we could try to do in our own self towards finding any sort of righteousness is, is sillier than, than stick figures with crayons and claiming it to be a masterpiece by Rembrandt or something. Such is what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory beyond what we can imagine is what is due the name of Jesus Christ. He is that name above every name. He is that name at which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. He is the king of glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us just a glimpse. We realize Moses asked to see your glory and and as a, as a mere mortal, he was unable to and live. And he was, he was only given permission to not even a, a, a small glimpse. Lord, may we be amazed in wonder and shout joys or shout songs of rejoicing when we even stop to think that the King of glory has come to purchase us, to redeem us, claim us as his own, to become heirs. So Lord, may that give us a perspective as we live this pilgrim journey on earth. And Lord, may we take that which you have given to us we say it often when we have our tithes and offerings that we return a portion to you 
which is yours in the first place. Lord, as the owner of all things, may we give our praise and glory to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.